0: The relic by Jack Moraffey. marche la Cosson wasn't a very big French village. I could cover it from one end to the other and around the outskirts in about an hour and a half on my bike when I was little. It was a gentle area lying over a hill from Paris, and many wealthy people lived there. Of course, most of the residents had their apartment in Paris, but they also had a house in St. Cloud or marche la Cosson. It was just the thing to do. Unlike all the other Parisians, that summer, when the Marquesa died, our family didn't vacation in August. but To leaves the city in August, my aunt had said. "Why suddenly are you so different?" Father couldn't see the bother of setting up another house for what last year proved to be just one solid week of sun out of the plan for. and he was right that summer poured and I wasn't even allowed to set up a tent in the backyard because the ground was constantly wet. So we stayed home and ate fresh rhubarb and fromage blanc with apricots stolen from the tree just before the crows arrived. That's how I was able to see the whole episode of the relic. Marquesa Sajincourt had died. She was a, a local noble person and a direct descendant of saint louis the patron saint of all france in her trust was a relic of that hallowed saint which she willed to the local church as a two month out of the year resident she felt that she owed it to the parish my brother said it wasn't that it was because she didn't know what to do with it (laughs) he was always very cynical in the middle of august when the church was half deserted the good news was announced and no one really heard like the old sexton. That Sunday, we arrived at Mass very early and were pleasantly seated in the fourth row, a rarity possible only in the summer when the leading families of the area were away. I guess they were leading since they scrambled for the first pew like it meant an indulgence. On my right, two people away, Monsieur Le sacre and he was standing there. He stood squarely in front of the congregation. He was so proud of his stewardship Despite the 40 years that separated his sports career, and that day his back was straight as a Doric column. His feet, however, suffered somewhat. They veered out like a clowns, so yet no one laughed at him. He was so kind and took good care of the church. Most of all, he was proud to be a member in good standing and current secretary of the Versailles Order of Sextons. He never helped with it anything that wasn't helping other people. He hoped to be secretary of the, the Saxton Society because his church wasn't very big and important. It had no stained glass windows like Saint-Chapelle and not one art treasure. It was just another hard-working church built like many others in France about midway in the last century. But Monsieur Le sacristan lived for St. Stephen's Parish. He knew everyone. His hand never grew tired as it embraced many, many more outside the baptism each morning after Mass. His thinning white hair and spectacles played second fiddle to his bold blue eyes that always seemed to hold a tear at being trusted with the upkeep of the church. During the Mass, he would shuffle out to the middle aisle, the stained glass light gleaming off his chain he wore around his shoulders, symbolic of his sexton role. He waddled a bit more last year, Um, it seemed, but then it always did. His shoulders were upright and he held his eyes straight ahead as he had been taught years ago in grade school. He turned only to bang his staff on the floor to signal the congregation to rise for the consecration. As he listened to the pastor explain the gift, a mighty tear came to his eyes. The papal nuncio had been alerted and everyone would have to help get ready for the ceremony involved in the giving of a relic. He only had two weeks to prepare. At that moment, the sexton wasn't thinking of the work to be done. He thought a little white church, now suddenly important, and he thought of the Versailles Order of Sextons and maybe a vice presidency. Mass ended, and still in a daze, the sexton ran for the double doors before anyone else could open them. After all, that was his job. His friends passed swiftly, and he went to the sacristy to clean up the flags were taken from the altar, and he had time to sit down on the steps and think. So much to do, clean the marble first in the steps. First impressions always make the difference, he almost wrote next to his diary. When he rang the bells the next morning for the seven o'clock mass, most of the night had been given to his list and exactly what order the repairs should be made. There was so little time at the patisserie, he shook hands with everyone in line and talked about the big event. Ah, you must be very busy, Monsieur Sacrestin, mister Dupuis cried. Right? Ah, oh, yes, a million things to do, he responded, with his usual semi-baguette of bread under his arm, shuffling back to the Grand Rue, which was very, really, very little. At the top of the hill, he paused and looked back fondly on the small white brick church. He thought of the people he had known who had died whose funeral was only noted by the town records, and the bell ringing by the church sexton, which is traditional in small towns. People who would be so proud of him now. A relic of good Saint Louis, the most revered man of France, and in his church. A tear again pressed his eye into blinking, and he shuffled back to his room. There was one great problem. The will left, no money, only the relic. Nothing, whatever for its upkeep. The Marquesa, like the rest of Marche La Cosson, thought the little church supported itself. All of the big donations were were given to St. Roche or one of the other fashionable churches in Paris, which each year published a list of of, um, contributors. The Sunday collection had changed stuff and paid the electric bill and the cost of flowers for the altar, but that was it. It took the charity bazaar and the cake sale proceeds to keep the coal bin full. The sexton's wage was meager, yet he sometimes found the money from his own pocket for the minor repairs that were necessary. Now a lot of money was needed. The crypt was no problem. He could clear out a section of the basement. Along, along with uh, men from the Society for the Propagation of the Faith. Ah, but where could he find the money for a reliquary good enough for the saintly king? The money must be found, or else the relic will pass to another church, he said aloud. It had happened before. The thought brought deep ravines of worry to his forehead. He drank his little cup of coffee with four sugars, the one absolute pleasure he allowed himself, and went to see the pastor. Only one priest remained at the home parish. The younger priest went to help ease the workload in the summer regions along the coast. With so much to be done and so understaffed, the pastor would be worried also. Monsieur Le Sacristain offered the thin old man the money he had put aside from his wages. The pastor was very thankful he would otherwise never have accepted, but the problem lay heavily on his pinched back and he was confused. He sat in an easy chair, sandals outstretched and crossed, his bony fingers made a child's church steeple, as he thought. The church is very strict about its saints, Monsieur le Sacre saint, the priest said, then thumped his foot and pressed his fingers into his lips. Its, it's honorary sons cannot be put in earthen jars on a mantelpiece, oh no, but where is one to get the money? The sexton sat forward in his chair and folded his hands in his lap the way he always did when he talked to a man of God. He bent his head low to show that he too was in deep thought. I could go to the bishop, he thought. That wouldn't work. How, what effect could the secretary of the Versailles or the sextons have? There has to be a way to keep the relic from going to another church, they thought. The pastor side. The sexton nodded his head and declined and decided to leave the old man alone. Back in the broken heart that he brought with him to the back of the church, next to the window that overlooked the church he had loved for 40 years, the sexton stared, what to do, what to do. All the people he knew came to mind, but they were all away for the month, so he could not ask them for money. Then it struck him. Pierre Renaud never took a vacation. He only helped uh, for a little while anyway. Yes, that was it. He put a stool next to his bed and a piece of paper on the blankets he began to write. No, it would take two days for the letter to get there, another two days for the reply, too slow, he said aloud. With a faraway look, he reached for his cap and the money he had promised the pastor. A little while later, he was on a train. He hadn't even changed to his good black suit. The following week was as hectic as it usually was after the summer ended. Everyone came back to the houses and turned on the heating just to take the chill off. It was exceptionally cool for late August, yet the summer sky still hung over the village. In the early evening, Monsieur Leseclistan polished the church floor once more before the sunset on the street called Grand, which everyone knew could only have been named in jest since it was too small. The shopkeepers were smiling. It was the annual Fete de Marshal Cosson in honor of the French Liberation, and timed nicely with the excitement of the relic of St. Louis. The sexton hurried along the street with his thin loaf of bread sticking out of his sweater pocket. Everything was ready. On the morning, he rose early, went down to to the spring that was always running for a bucket of clear water. He washed his room and knotted his tie extra tight. A warm sun lit the scrubbed steps of the church of St. Stephen. The flag of France was seen all along the street of cobblestone and brick. Up the hill with all the clerics and townspeople lining the way came the papal nuncio. Even the mayor, whose face habitually looked like it had just ingested a foul odor, wore a benevolent smile befitting such a holy, noteworthy occasion. The sexton had everything in control. The rug was very worn, but very clean, and lay in the middle of the morning cold on the marble floor. At the foot of the altar stood the most magnificent reliquarium ever seen. It was glass and gold inlaid with precious stones. On the front, carved in rosewood, and outlined in guilt was a soldier on horseback, symbol of good King Louis IX of France, who died outside the gates of Tunis after the Eighth Crusade. The papal nuncio hadn't expected this. It seemed a bit odd. He almost tripped as he came up the aisle. The church...
1: Are you being audited? And do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The tax doctor is here to help you negotiate your tax bill and reduce your stress. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts, but you can stop these IRS actions. The tax doctor will work with you, using our years of experience to represent your case to help you get the best resolution under the IRS guidelines. Help is here to deal with the IRS to reduce your stress. We've handled thousands of cases, so we know what we're doing. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, do not call the IRS alone. Call a tax doctor now for a tax emergency analysis. Call 800-586-7140. Do you listen to the TV on high volume or have trouble hearing conversations? Then you would benefit from hearing aids. Don't waste thousands on expensive hearing aids when you can get Nano's revolutionary technology just $347. Don't be fooled by higher priced hearing aids. The CIC Recharge is a true hearing aid, not an amplifier. With rechargeable technology many customers say is superior to more expensive models. Call now and get not one, but two nano hearing aids for just $347. Plus, we'll add a portable charging dock and ship your order absolutely free. The CIC Recharge has a tiny in-the-ear canal design that is nearly invisible. Why keep missing out on important conversations or waste thousands of dollars? Call and get two CIC Recharge hearing aids for only $347 and free shipping. Call now. 800-896-9704. Again, that's 800-896-9704.
0: Stay connected at urbanmusicreport.com for the hottest music and feature videos, fashion reports, sports stories, entertainment news, and technology updates at urbanmusicreport.com. Stay connected. The choir intoned and mass began. The relic was placed in its new home by 20 altar boys dressed in simple white Franciscan robes. They went down the steps to the crypt under the nave of the church. The iron gate was closed, and the key given to Monsieur Le Sacristan who received it and placed it in a special gold chain around his neck. It was over too fast, he thought. Now he was welcoming his old friends outside the baptistry. They warmly greeted him and pulled his hand firmly. After that, all the boards and the church fathers went to Marie, a town hall for a communal feast. The sexton sat between two priests. And wore the biggest smile of the day. The mayor toasted the priest, who turned and requested a, a toast be made instead to his honorable friend, patriot, and dedicated Catholic, the sexton. Everyone rose and toasted without knowing why. In the evening, after the festivities of day had retired, most of the townspeople a dark figure were seen along the hulk of the church. It passed the back door, back door, with a second figure joining it. The first figure put a finger to its lips. It was a saxton on tiptoes. The other man was Pierre Romain, and together they passed into the darkened sacristy very quietly. They descended the new stone steps under the altar and opened the iron gate, which had the relic from public view. They looked cold and still against the stone walls of the cellar. They went about their business unhurried. A wood crate lined with straw and rags Sat next to the reliquary. They removed the relic and placed it in a simple glass case, temperature controlled and airtight, as prescribed by canon law. The beautiful rosewood and glass case was placed in the crate and carefully packed to prevent any damage. The two men shook hands in exchange of a shifty smile.